Blog Talk Radio. Well, folks, we are on the air again here. I have to, first of all, apologize uh, for last week. I don't know what went wrong with the show, but I ended up talking for over uh, close to an hour and uh, ended up not recording. So I apologize for those that you tried to listen to last week's show. But anyway, this week we, we're kind of switching things up a little bit. We've got a, uh, uh, instead of talking about the technical side of the stone and tile business, we're going to go ahead and start talking about the business side of it. We're going to interview a, a gentleman here in a minute by the name of Dean MacArthur. And in the next hour, we're going to try to cover everything from corporate structures to costing, financial statements, cash flow, uh, clients, uh, your target markets, uh, hiring, training, and motivating your employees, how to compensate them. We have a couple of questions that came in uh, over uh, the email later today, anticipating of this thing. Especially, I want to talk about, um, you know, how do you keep and retain retain employees? So I'm going to go ahead and uh, I know Dean's just calling in now. Let me go ahead and read Dean's uh, intro here, and we'll get him right on on the horn here in a second. Now, Dean MacArthur combines stone and tile restoration expertise with strategic business management experience as principal of certified stone professionals in Buffalo, New York. He has decades of experience in the art of problem solving and restoring natural stone. After obtaining his Bachelor of Science degree in accounting and finance, he obtained a CPA while working at Freed Maix, I hope I pronounced that right, a top 25 most profitable CPA firm in the nation. PricewaterhouseCoopers recruited him to work at their Buffalo and New York City offices specializing in mergers and acquisitions, looking to understand the human side of operating a successful business. Dean obtained his professional and human resources and his senior certified professional and human resources while he was a director of recruiting and human resources consulting for a large accounting and business advisory firm. He is currently managing partner of Crimson Strategic Management, a motivational speaking and consulting firm offering a multi-level financial and operational coaching, tax planning, strategic positioning, mergers, acquisitions, including succession planning, and a variety of services to business owners. Dean is a certified stone and tile inspector and has a certifications in concrete polishing, specialized coating applications, stain-free warranty and anti-slip programs from various manufacturers and certifying association. He is a member of the AICPA, the SHRM, BOMA, BOMA, and the Interior Design Association. As the primary instructor of the learning series, You're the Boss, Now What?, Dean consults and teaches business owners how to understand all aspects of the business, including operations, human resources, financial assistance, sales, and marketing. So Dean is the man. So let's go ahead and get him on the line. Dean, are you there? I am here, Fred. How are you? All right. That's wonderful. I just got through reading your bio, and uh, I I hope we have enough time here uh, to cover everything that we want to cover. But uh, you sound like the guy we want to talk to, because unlike a lot of CPAs, and I've known you for a little bit of time here, uh, what's unique about you is that You've been in the field. Uh, you, you know, you know the stone business. You know the, especially the restoration business, which makes it, uh, which makes it uh, a really good experience. So, why don't you go ahead and, and explain what your company does, and and uh, we'll take it from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what we do is we're we have a consulting you know um, company. So we deal with companies where we do coaching, we do turnarounds, um, we do things of that nature, but what we also do is the back office. So we have six accountants here on staff, so we can do all the bookkeeping, all the tax planning. Um, we have two HR associates here, so we can do labor laws, employee handbooks. Um, we do a lot of interviewings, um, personality assessments, which, which we'll touch on a little bit later. What we tried to do is be a little bit different than a lot of the coaches where we can support you whatever you need. So if you're a small company, you say, you know what, I just don't have enough people or resources to hire a bookkeeper, we'll take care of it for you. Um, but the difference is instead of just doing the numbers, we know the business, so we can kind of work with you to make sure your numbers are in line. You know, which, you know, Fred, you know this as well as I do, and, and we can be the best polishers in the world, but the bank doesn't care, you know, exactly. if you make money or not. So, right. and that's kind of what, 
Yeah, and I and I got to blame you for getting me into this business. Just for the record, <laughs> 15 uh, years ago, I bought a lot of books and CDs from uh, you. So uh, <laughs> I, I don't know whether this, actually. I don't I don't know whether to say thank you or or, or uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I I got to tell you, it's been it's been great. It's been great. Yeah, it's been great. So that's great. Um, so well, in a nutshell, that's what we do. All right, why don't we start at the top? Let's talk about. You know, one of the things, you know, whether you're you're just getting started in this business or whether you've been in this business a long time, and and, and I thought I, I've been confused on this, and that is the corporate structure. I mean, I know you have LLCs and, you know, corporations and partnerships. You know, why don't we explain a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, a lot of people talk S-Corps, and S-Corps is just a uh, tax, you know, um, tax entity, basically. But at a minimum, you need to have a corporation, um, and you know as well as I do. People out there, the customers are getting more and more difficult, and it seems like everybody's got a buddy who's a lawyer who's going to, you know, if something the least little bit thing goes wrong, they want to get all over you about it. And, you know, at a minimum, you, you need to have a corporate structure, whether it's a C-Corp, an LLC, um, but you need, that cor- you need that corporate veil to just protect you. Um, and then it goes back to it depends on how big of a company you want to be. You know, most of our clients, probably 95% of them are S-Corps because um, there is some nuances with C's versus S's, not to get too technical. Um, but that's one of the things we do. We work with our clients. If they are a sole proprietor or a partnership, we sit down with them. We talk to them about, you know, what are the what are the pros and cons? Because everybody has a pros and cons. And, uh, and then we make that decision and help them go forward with it. You know, and I guess the question so, I have there uh, is like, you know, let's suppose I'm, I'm, I'm a guy out there. I'm in the you know, actually whatever business, but in our case, the stone and, and tile business. And uh, I've been operating as a sole proprietor and my company is, let's say, ABC, you know, whatever. Yep. And I, I want to form a, you know, a corporation, an S corporation. Do I have to change the name of my company or can I keep that name? You, well, If the name is available, you can keep it. And in a sense, all you're doing is you're going to put INC at the end of it. You know, okay. uh, most people are not going to see the change or you can do a DBA. So you can keep your name and you can make it ABC Incorporated doing business as Fred Houston Stone Inspections, you know, or whatever right. your company is. Um, right. So you can leave that name as a DBA portion of it. You know, and, and, and you know, every state has its, has its, um, has its nuances, or, but that, in general, that's, that's pretty much where you're at. Right. That's good. That's good to know. Now let, let's yeah. move on. And we got, we got a bunch of things we're going to talk about. I guess the, the next important thing I want to talk about, and this is something that I get a question with all the time. I get contractors call me constantly said, you know, Fred, how do I cost this job? You know, I mean, you know, not only the bidding process, but you know, how do we figure out, you know, what's, let's talk about job costing. What kind of input do you have there? You know, basically job costing is going to be anything it costs you to do that job. And I know it seems kind of general, um, but, you know, if you're an employee that's doing the job, obviously that's a job cost, all the material. Um, But, you know, a lot of people, what they don't realize is if you have a salesperson, um, whatever time and money that salesperson spent to obtain that job is actually cost of good sold. I mean, our cost of good service, that's actually part of the job cost. Um, And I think a lot of people – that's probably one of the one of the ones that people miss, um, you know. So that that's one we can look at, and then um, you can start amortizing as as much as you want. Obviously, your office help isn't the rent on your building, you know. Um, vans, you know, that's a tricky one. Sometimes people like to put them up to the cost of goods sold. Sometimes they like to keep them below the line. Um, fuel to get to the job, hotel costs, food. Um, you know, all those costs can be associated directly with that job, and they should be because it's the that's the actual cost it took you to, to do that job. Um, and I'll, and I'll, so. I'll, you know, another question I have expanding that, I mean, not only are we talking about, you know, stone restoration guys, when we get into, you know, bigger companies and companies that have a lot more overhead, like fabricators, for example, now we're talking the cost of leasing and, you know, some of these pieces of equipment cost a quarter of a million dollars on up. So uh, they need to figure that in as well. Absolutely. And, and you can amortize that depending on how you run. Excuse me. Sometimes people will come up with a per hour cost. So if it takes some, let's say that machine works 2,000 hours a year and it costs $200,000 to operate, you know, they'll come up with, you know, whatever that number is. So if it takes four hours to do that job, they allocate four hours times a thousand times, you know, and that's, that's that job cost, you know, Um, and that's, so you can do it per hour. um, And that's, that's usually what a lot of guys do just to make it somewhat simple, you know, to keep track of the numbers. 
Right. And, you know, that, that that's something I think is extremely important. I want to I want to spend a little bit of a minute on that, because here's something that I run into all the time with a lot of contractors. Now, whether you're talking. Well, for example, I got a call the other day from a contractor that's looking to do a very, very large project. I mean, we're talking 300,000 square feet. So that, that that's I would consider sizable. <laughs> so oh, absolutely. Looking, yeah. You know, he's looking at at probably investing, you know, a quarter of a million dollars. And equipment. So we have we have that example. Let me put that example aside for a second, and let's talk fabricators as well. One of the things that I find with fabricators is that they you know they go to the stone shows, they see all this brand new equipment. Let's say the CNC machine, if you know what that is, you know it's a uh, automated yep. automated machine, and they get all excited and say that would be really cool. What these contractors, in my opinion, and maybe you can expand on this a little bit, fail to look at: do they have enough work to pay for that equipment or to keep that equipment moving? You know what I'm getting at? Yeah. We see it all the time, you know, and, and that's, you're exactly right. And we saw this, we used to do a lot of garage coatings, you know, and you'd buy a $60,000 grinder, vacuum and everything else. And guys are like, man, I'm going to make a killing. I'm going to do a hundred thousand this year. And you're like, man, you're not even going to touch paying for that equipment, you know? Right. And, you know, and that's the thing I think, you know, that's where it comes down to. There's certain guys can make that work, Fred. You know, it's weird. I've seen guys just buy things and it just works. I've seen other ones where they'll buy all this equipment for one job. And then, like you said, it's done after that. Um, If you don't think you can make a business doing it and you think it's a one-off, I add that right to the cost of the job and say, look, I'm buying a hundred thousand dollar machine for this job. I'm going to be able to, let's say, sell it for 20 grand when I'm done. I might amortize 80,000 of that into that, unless I really know I'm going to be able to continue on with this business. Right. Exactly. and that's you know, you know that's a good business to say. that's a, that's a that's a good topic because you really got to think some of these major purchases out and I think you I don't know I'm sure you've seen it I've seen a lot of guys including myself get caught up in the latest thing you're out spending yep. twenty grand on something and it just doesn't work you know it's just you can't make it back exactly um, well, and then, what's that no, go ahead go ahead go ahead yeah yeah and you know what's funny too and I'll, I'll touch on a little bit not only on that but uh, you're talking about cash flow. You know, every year when we start doing taxes, we see, you know, cash flow is always an issue. And somebody says, well, I made 40 grand last year. And I said, yeah, but do you remember when I told you you depreciated that thing two years ago? And even though you make 40 grand, you're paying 40,000 of payments that you get no benefit for on a, on a statement, That's on right. a financial statement. It's just cash that goes out with no expenses because you took that section 179 two years ago. And that's where I see a lot of people get in trouble is they don't watch their cash flow, which goes back to you with that machine. You know, it may be great the first year, but you're still going to be paying for that unless you just happen to have a ton of money in the bank. And then you're just losing your ability to generate revenue. It's just lost revenue because you wasted all that money on a machine. You didn't get the benefit out of it. If that and, makes, and I you know see what I'm I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. I see that all the time. And I always yeah. say that, you know, a lot of the contractors, and of course I don't have a, a percentage in, in top of my head, but I see this a lot. They operate what I call, you know, the cash in one pocket, the cash out of the other pocket. Look how much I have left. Look how much I made. <laughs> you know, and that's where financial statements and, you know, balance sheets and all that stuff come into play. So they, they have a good handle on, on what they're they're making. And then also let's talk a little bit about, you know, most people in business, if they're smart, they're going to, you know, take their business and put it to a point where they can sell it and retire at some point in time. So, you know, you, you can't sell a business unless you have those documents. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing because I get a lot of people that will come. Matter of fact, I just negotiated. We negotiated a deal last fall, and um, it was a, a lady that I've been working with for about four years, and she's a great example. I, I love to point out because – she owns a carpet cleaning company and she's really, really successful. She never cleaned carpet a day in her life before it started. Um, and, you know, even though she can clean carpet and she can do floods, her thing was, I'm going to get into this business to run a business. I don't really care about cleaning carpets. And I got a, we got another guy local here who's a phenomenal carpet cleaner, but nobody can work with him because he is a one man show and he's phenomenal. Nobody can measure up to him. He does all high-end work. He's got a great business as well. Problem is, he doesn't have anything to sell. You right. Know, when when he wa- when he wants to sell something, if I know he's going out of business, I just let him go out of business and I pick up his customers. If I'm his competitor, you know what right. I mean? 
she she just purchased a company that was actually twice the size of hers, and she purchased it. Um, that guy started losing track of running his business, started losing his numbers. Cash flow was down. He's getting a little bit older. Nobody to take it over. You know, the scenario we start to see at that 55, 60-year-old age. Right. And she basically bought equipment, but more importantly, he had contracts. And he had a solid customer base. Um, and that's really what we bought. We didn't care about the, you know, we didn't care about how good anybody could clean carpets. That wasn't the, the thing about it. Right. You know, he right. had techniques, proprietary information. Um, and he had something to sell because mainly those contracts. Um, right. I don't know if I'm answering your question right, but, you know, oh, no, you, people you build are. businesses. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> you got to have something more to sell than saying, I'm the best whatever you are, because when you're gone, nobody cares. You know, well, here's a mistake. And, Here, here's a mistake I made years ago when I first got into business. And, you know, this is a, a I know a lot of guys out there are going through the same same issue, you know, based on what you've just described with those two separate, you know, business models is that you've got the guy that, you know, uh, the, the single a single operator that, you know, he's built a nice clientele business. He, you know, he's got that, you know, he's making a decent living, but he has nothing to sell, but his customers want him, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they, they, they don't want him sitting behind a desk somewhere and just directing like the first lady was doing it. How do you overcome that? Um, yeah, as a sole proprietor. Well, that, yeah. I, you, I, you know, you, get, get, Getting out of that, that, you know, uh, you know, man, I mean, I'll tell you how I did it, but I don't know whether it's right or wrong. And, and that is, you know, they want you on the job all the time. So they feel they have to be on the job all the time. But in order to grow, in order to get there, you can, can't be on all your jobs. How do you get away from that stigma of, I'm sorry, Mr. Customer, I can't be there, but, you know, my head guy is there, my employees are, you know, whatever. How would you handle that situation? Well, you- you know, it's funny. I, I'm ha- I started handling that about three years ago because, you know, I was the same way. You know, everybody wanted me on the job. Yep. And it's funny, you know, you take it, when you first start, you take it as a compliment. And you almost beat your chest a little bit thinking I'm the man. Well, the problem right. is when you quickly realize <laughs> it isn't that big of a deal, you know, like it's actually more harm than good. Um, so, you know, what we do is um, I have a, a person here. He's been with me for three years. And um, he actually owns part of the company. Um, and after about six months of him working with me, I, I knew that this was my replacement. Um, so, you know, the other guys I had, they were really good. They were really likable. Um, but I always, there was always a little bit of that pushback from the customers until they mm-hmm. saw what they could do. Um, right. In my particular case, I say, Jay is going to come out. Um, he's been with me, you know, for a while now. He's actually my business partner and he handles all the operations in the field. Um, and I will tell you, you probably want him more than you want me type thing. Uh, and they kind of give them that feeling of, okay, so this guy must be good, you know? And that's kind of how I right. say it. It's like he is as good or better than I am. I'm a little bit different because I have him locked in on ownership. Now, you know, somebody might say, I don't want to be telling these guys that my employee is that good. My employee may take off on me, which, you know, something we can talk about, you know, right, a little right. bit in a couple of minutes. Um, but before he goes out there, I, I really kind of pump him up to my customers and just say, look, I would never put anybody in here that, that wasn't as good as I am. Um, and I'll tell you, Fred, when he's done, people, 99 out of 100 will make a point to say, he is that good, isn't he? And I'll be like, yes, he is. And, right. and that's kind of how you do it. I, I, for me personally, I kind of throw myself under the bus a little bit to give him the glory, but I, you kind of do it in a way that, you're not insulting yourself. You're just saying, you know, this guy is, trust me, he is awesome, you know, and, uh, but I I trust he's going to do, I trust he's going to do that job too, you know? And, and, and that applies, I I think more so in the residential side than it does on the commercial side. Um, You know, the commercial side, you know, you're dealing with supervisors and, you know, et cetera, but boy, sometimes these residential jobs are, are, are tricky that way, but that's a good way of handling. And that's kind of, kind of the way I handle it was, you know, kind of step back and say, Hey, yeah, because otherwise, I, you know, I remember in a day I was out selling all day long. I'd have to show up at, you know, to actually do the work and the commercial work at night. So you were going 24, 24 seven, and that that'll kill any 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 business owner, you know. And that, and uh, you yeah, well, you hit it right in the head, you know. And you know, and and it's funny, Fred. You know, that's a good point you touched on me too. Because when I start meeting with guys that are just starting out and and females. You know, we, we get into where do you want to go? What's your personality? What do you want to service? You know, everybody's like, I want to make money, but it, it's more than that, you know. Um, and then we start kind of identifying 
sometimes people are more meant to be commercial contractors than they are yep. residential. Oh, I agree um, with and that we for start sure. Kinda, yeah, and I think sometimes people try to be both because either they're scared or they're nervous or they want to get that revenue and, or whatever it is. But, you know, it really depends on your workforce. Like, you know, I've seen companies that they couldn't step into a, a high-end house. I mean, the, the homeowners would throw them out from the way they're dressed to the way they smell, they look, they yep. talk, you know, everything about it. Um, and even with us, you know, I, we're not commercial guys per se. We do high-end commercial work, but – you know, it's only because the people know, look at this particular function, this is not $2 a square foot, $8 a square foot. And Dean, you guys are going to come in at eight because we know what we're going to get with you. The other one, right. you know what, it's just, just make it somewhat shiny. We don't care. You know, it's a class B building at best, you know, though, but there's still good money to be made in that, but that's not, that's not our skill set. Yeah. And that's a decision you know, I made a couple of years ago. And that's pretty a pretty yeah. good decision because I've seen actually I had a conversation with someone yesterday uh, that a lot of times what happens with these guys that start off in small you know just residential work per se then they get into you know maybe small commercial work a bank building a, a hotel or whatever and I've seen personally three or four companies that have failed miserably and have gone bankrupt because they take that jump to got try to go from that to a very large job. You know, like the 300,000 square foot job I just talked about a minute ago, and they end up not knowing how to do it, not getting the right help, not having the right financials, you know, and the list goes on and on and on and they can't handle it. And all of a sudden they're bankrupt. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's I mean, I, I guess would you advise the same thing that you should take it slow uh, if you're going to go into that, that, you know, that big a project? You, I mean, I think you have to be meant for that project. You have to be willing to wait for your money. You have to be willing to have them hold 10% retainer a lot of times. You have to a lot of times have that capital where you just you can fund it and get through it. Um, but yep. you got to know your numbers because usually mm-hmm. those numbers are a lot tighter. I mean, I walk in, you know, we go do a residential, and you know this. There's a lot more fluff than oh, yeah. you're doing 100,000 square feet of polished terrazzo or whatever it is. Right. Um, and, and those commercial guys, they make money by off their subcontractors. Um, you know, I, last year alone, we made over $30,000 off of, you know, I'm not proud of it, but we right. made over $30,000 <laughs> fixing mistakes of pile installers yep. that just, you know, scratched up marble floors, ridiculous lippage. Those contractors didn't think twice about just holding that money and going, too bad, guys. And they give write us the check. Um, yep. So they're you know they're ruthless. Without, and they probably right. held more money than what they paid us. <laughs> so exactly, you know exactly. So, you know, so you know, commercial just you know, but but like I said, Fred, you know, residential is not better than commercial. It has to fit the personality of the company and yep. the owner's philosophy. Because I've seen residential or commercial guys make way more money than a residential guy ever thought of making. It's just a different market. So it's, it's a different market, a different personality and a different way of handling that customer. Uh, but yeah. you know, like you said, it's, it's, it's a lot has to do with your personality. All right. So let's kind of wrap things up with financial statements and cash flow. And anything, I mean, without getting into too technical detail, you know, we just talk a, a few minutes about, you know, how important financial statements are and, you know, keeping good cash flow and, and, and the type of bookkeeping, I guess you would call it that, that these guys should be doing that usually don't do. <laughs> yeah, no. Now, you know, one thing, one thing I would like to mention, uh, and I think a lot of times when we, when we own our own business, we forget that we need to get paid. And, you know, a lot of times we forget to pay ourselves. So as we're going through the week, we're running numbers. You know, we got our, we got our payroll covered. We got this covered, that covered. We forget a lot of times that we need to take a salary because we have people relying on us to pay the mortgage, the bills, whatever it is. And I think that's the one thing owners forget. Um, especially, you know, small guys, one, two, three guys, I think you need to re- you need to put a number in your financial statements and in your budget that says, Hey, I need to make this much money. And when you're, when you're done with that, you need to put a profit in there too. So when you're bidding the job, there's a lot of numbers that go in there other than just your cost of goods sold. You know, you got your profit percentage you need to make, you got to cover mm-hmm. your overhead, you got to cover your life make a personal budget. How much does it cost you every week to live your life? And I think sometimes people don't do it because we don't want to see it. It's scary how much it costs to live nowadays. Um, (laughs) But those are some of the, right. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. 
I learned that the hard way. Learned it the hard way? Yeah, I learned it the hard way. I mean, uh, there were times I remember back in the day, you know, there were times that uh, I was living off credit cards. You know, I, my employees got paid, but I didn't, get, I didn't make a cent. And one day I, I woke up and said, why am I doing this? I'm not going to get paid. And then someone like you, uh, a CPA, actually told me, you know, you got to pay yourself first. And, you know, then it, it, the whole, your whole attitude changed. Yeah, you, you have to. You know, things, yeah. yeah, and the other thing I think, you know, that we try to teach our, our clients to do is you got to watch your numbers. I mean, there's certain numbers. You know, you need to, a lot of guys, I hear guys brag about how much money they made on a job or whatever. They never seem to talk about, the, it's like going to a casino. They never tell you about the other days, you know. And um, a lot of people yeah. will keep clients, right? You know, like you, all you hear is about that job they made five grand on, but there were six other ones. They lost 6000 Well, guess what? You're upside down. Um, my favorite. So I think, my, my yeah. yeah, my favorite. My favorite. Uh, what I hear all the time, and I want your opinion on this because I have my opinion. Is the guy that says I won't send my guys out for less than X amount of dollars a day, and I've heard three hundred dollars a day up to you know fifteen hundred dollars a day. I they I'll keep, I'll have them wash the van rather than send them out for less than that. What what's your thoughts there about that attitude? Well, I, I gotta tell you, you know, and it's funny. I almost kind of agree with that in a way. And the, re- the only reason I say in a way is because if I'm going into a job that I feel there's a chance of me making no money or losing money, I'll, I will keep my guys out. It's a risk reward right. for me, you know? Right. So if I'm going into a situation and somebody says, it's a posi- it's not a typical job. I need you to do, you know, whatever. Uh, methylene chloride, this, but you're surrounded by <laughs> wood floors and there's wood floor inlays and, <laughs> And you're going to make $100 on it. I'll be like, you know what? My guys can just stay home and we'll, we'll polish marble, you know, on the exactly. shop. Um, <laughs> exactly. So I do agree with that, um, but up to a point. Because sometimes people say it and their egos get in the way. I know how much it costs me to turn a light on every day. You know, before, when I go into that office and that shop and I flip that light, I know I owe somebody in a collected group 300 something dollars a day or whatever it is. I know I need to make that money to pay those bills. So sometimes I'll take jobs that maybe, maybe they're below less. I'll be honest. Maybe they're less than what I would normally charge. Um, But I, but I don't do it to put at risk of losing money. Does that make sense? Yeah. And and that's exactly the way I think of it. You know, a lot of times I'll see these guys that, that, you know, well, I won't go out for less than $500 a day. You know, you you have to look, look at the job, you know, and you just said that, you know, you just gave some, some great examples of that, you know, along that same line. I also see, and and this is a, I think it's a mistake, you know, where, you know, I, I know a couple of guys, especially that they like to brag how booked they are. And that's fine if they're talking to me, if they're talking to you, if they're talking to someone. But, you know, you don't say to your customer, well, you know, we're booked for six months and I can't get to you in six months. That, and correct me if I'm wrong, that tells me you don't have enough, you don't have enough labor. You don't have enough, you know, resources to take the jobs. You, you shouldn't be booked six months ahead. Well, and you and understand I'm gonna, where I'm, I'm going with that? I'm going to hit it a different way because I know whatever just, a, uh, you know, somebody said that to me the other day. And I said, first thing I said to him was raise your prices. You're too cheap. Exactly. And they said, what do you mean yeah. I'm too cheap? I said, well, you're too cheap because if, <laughs> raise your prices and make your money. Even if you lose a couple jobs, if you're six months out, you're going to backfill that. So even if you lose 10 customers and you're only four months out, you're going to make so much more in those four months. You're going to be able to focus better on your client. You're going to be able to take more time, better equipment, better whatever it is. You're going to do a better job. And people, you're going to be worth it. And you're going to backfill those other two months. You're always going to – would you you don't you understand what I'm saying? Like oh I you know I, I'm sitting here shaking my head you know in, in a nodding yes yes format not not the other way around because it took me uh, a long time to realize what you're worth and uh, you yeah. know for years especially when I got in the consulting consulting field it was like you know I I had a lawyer told me one time I'm not charging enough what do you mean I'm not charging enough I'm making a hundred dollars an hour that's not enough you're worth more than that and I, and I think a lot of these guys out there. They don't realize what they're worth. I mean, they've gone through training. They've gone through experience. They've gone through, you know, you're worth some money. And, you know, the, the minute I raised my prices, and, and I think this is where you're going with that, I started getting the work that I wanted and didn't have to deal with all these, you know, you know, bullshit type type jobs that we have to deal with. <laughs> I, I couldn't, I, I hate to say it. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. You know, I mean, I see people call from certain towns and I know it's terrible to say, but I'm like, that's not my client. 
Like that, there are very few houses in that town that that are my client, and I'm not right. bragging about it. But what I what we charge, which is fair for the work that we give them, you know. Right. Um, and and then that's just kind of where we're at. And sometimes I feel bad that we can't do work for them, but I know how much it costs me to operate a business, and I just can't do that anymore for charity or for favors because nobody would do it for me. If I'm if I need help. All those customers you gave $200 off to or you, you charge less than your worth, they're not going to help you out, you know. Exactly. And uh, I, I always say I just – I always want to give you more than you pay me. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to – I want my – you know, the other thing, Fred, I want to touch on, I want my guys to be able to make money so that they can have a nice life too, though. This isn't just about me. Right. You know, I mean, I want my employees to be able to pull up in nice vehicles, wear nice clothing, have nice things because the happier they are, the more, the more, the happier I'm going to be because we're in this together. And I think sometimes that's the owners forget that, you know, um, I, you I know, want which, my guys to, to live well. Right. You know, which brings us to a, to a topic I know you and I have discussed and I, we get all the time and that is, uh, you know, hiring, hiring guys. And let, let's take a step at a time. Let's talk about hiring and let's talk about motivating. You know, let, let's first start with, and, and I'll tell you my opinion and you can throw yours in there. And this is something that, yeah. And maybe it's due to my experiences that I rarely would ever hire someone that had experience in the job I was hiring them for. In other words, I might I I might hire a fabricator to do stone restoration, uh, but I'm not going to hire a stone restoration guy to do stone restoration because I have to undo all his bad habits. Do do you agree or disagree with that? Uh, I could not agree more. Um, Jay, who is my main guy now, who eventually will own this company. Um, four-year degree, went to college, played sports, got out, worked in an office, absolutely hated it. But I knew his father and I knew his uncle. I knew the work ethic. I knew what they brought to the table. And I knew they, they, they were serious about their craft, which is not what he does. So right. I hired him after meeting him and discussing with him and knowing I hired him based on attitude. And that was all it was. He had no clue about stones other than landscaping right. you right. know um but i love I, and i loved his attitude and i made a promise to him when i hired him i will pay you a salary i will give you all the support and tools that you need to be successful um in turn i just ask that you take this seriously and uh friend i couldn't i'll tell you right now i couldn't be any happier with That's him great. and he runs everything i don't even I mean i don't have to do anything anymore to the point where you know, I'm like, do you need me at all? <laughs> and he'll, right. he'll call That's me and ask me a question, but I think, I think it's just to make me feel good. Like, I think he's just like, oh, I'm not asking, like, I don't know this. <laughs> but, but I, it, you know, and, I, but I don't worry about him. He's like you said, he's gotten, he was, he was a fresh slate that I was able to draw and create the person that I wanted because he had the skill set and the mindset to do it. Um, so I, I couldn't agree more with you. I, I don't want anybody yeah. else's bad habits, and I don't, you know. Yeah, and there, there's another reason too that that I've learned over the years, and that is when you have when you have someone new in a position, they're more motivated, they're they're in the learning phase, so they're they're more excited. If you get someone that's been, you know, let, let's say I have someone that that you know he came from another company, he's been doing this for 15 years. I'm sorry, after 15 years, he's bored with what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're hiring a new guy, and you know, I used to look for. I mean, you know, today you got to be real careful what questions you ask an interviewee. Uh, but you know, some of the questions I used to ask were, and, and this sounds like a weird question to ask, but I'll tell you my reasoning for it is what did your father do for a living? And they kind of look at you like, what the hell has that got to do with me? You know, but you know, I grew up with a dad that was a handyman, you know, so I grew yep. up learning how to work on cars, work on the houses, do everything around it, and you pick that up through osmosis or, or whatever. So if someone's father was in a trade, chances are that person has some skills that can be developed. Uh, what's your thoughts there? Oh, I think you're dead on, you know, and, and we don't, I, I wouldn't ask the question anymore because you just never know, but right. you, know, you do get that. And, and it's funny. I think um, athletes, um, not all the time, but I think they're used to the competitive nature. I think they're used to wanting to be, you know, um, on the top of the level, but I'll tell you, right. farmers around where we live, farmers i love hiring farmers because they they work you know the cows they work and they don't care what time it is how long it is 
you know, and I hate to generalize, but around here, you know, it, and I've never been disappointed ever. They will just work and work and they'll give you 110% um, without a doubt. So I, you know, I, yeah, I definitely, you know, another thing too, though, friend, and talk about that sometimes, you know, and and we've had quite a few guys, especially when we used to polish concrete. uh, I, you know, I don't mind taking a person that maybe is a wood floor guy um, and bringing them over to my stone guy because he kind of has an understanding of what we're doing. um, But he doesn't, he doesn't know what we do. So there's still that excitement, like you said, because it's new, but I can get him up to running better. So instead of saying, okay, instead of quitting at a 120 or 180 and coding it, we're just going to keep going. We're just going to keep running through the grits, and then we're going to get you there. And uh, they have that idea of smoothness, you know, if that makes sense, and tool marks right. and things of that yep. nature. Yeah, exactly. You know, so, another, 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 uh, another, I've hired a couple of guys in this field, uh, and I'll tell you in a minute. And boy, these guys are really great because they were very detailed, and that was auto body guys. <laughs> As a matter yeah. of fact, there was there was a question. I think you saw it on our our forum with our organization yeah. that we belong to, where someone was wanting to hire a guy that was from the auto body business. Which brings me to the next question, uh, or the next discussion. With that, I actually we got a question. I think I emailed you that, you know, how do you deal with? Okay, I've, I've put all this money into training and to motivation. I've, you know, this guy's been with me for five or six years. Uh, now he's going to go out on his own and compete with me. What, what's your what's your thoughts there? How do you handle that? Yeah, I, guess I think I, should say. I well, I think there's a couple ways. And, and like one said, one other person said, you know, you can't non competes aren't really enforceable. And, and they mentioned California, and I'll say the same thing here with New York. You know, you can try to scare somebody and try to drag them right. in a knot hole and hey, I have more money than you, and I'll drag this out. You know, and that's one way to do it. I'm not a big fan of that, quite honestly. No, um, no. Non, non-solicitations are a little more enforceable. Um, so you can get them to sign a non-solicitation so that at least they're not going to go after your major referral sources or clients. Um, that's one way to do it. Uh, and they're a little more enforceable, at least they're in New York. Um, but, you know, what we've also found, and it's not just in this industry, you can act, if you're teaching them a new trade, you can actually have them sign a note um, that puts a value on that and say, look, you're going to start day one. Um, The training we're going to give you is worth $50,000 and you have to stay two years to do that. Now you can leave at any time and you might give them an out clause and say, if you do not stay in this business, I'm not worried about it. I don't want to handcuff you if you don't want to be here. But if you decide to go into business on your own or go to work for a competitor, you know, just to let you know that balance is remaining. Um, Sometimes it works. I mean, legally, it's, it's enforceable, at least in New York right. State, it, it has been. Um, it's one way to do it. Um, chances are, if you don't want them around in a year, you're gonna, you'll are gonna you probably be like, dude, just go. I'll forgive the 25 grand or whatever right. it is, you know. But there is a value to what we do, and I think people forget, you know. it's, it's a, to, to do it at a high level, it takes a high level of skill set. It really does. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. And I think it's, it's a craft. It really, you look at some of these churches and these old craftsmen that used to come over and build these things, man, I mean, they took pride in what they did. And I think a lot of right. us, we should too. Now, there's other people in this business, Fred, that, you know, you know, take every business, you know, it's, 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 uh, they don't treat it like a craft. It's, it's basically a job. Let's go out. Let's do it. We'll do a 80% of what it can be done. We'll move on. We'll get our check and we'll figure it out later, you know, but uh, for craftsmen, it's, it's, it's a valuable it's a valuable thing to learn. So there should be a value on it. Uh, absolutely. You know, and I agree. Yeah. yeah. And another, another thing I've heard, and I've actually have applied this philosophy myself too, is that, uh, you know, they, you know, a good skilled person, you know, let's say you train this individual and he's, he's very high skilled. He may be very skilled at, at polishing marble or fabricating or installing or whatever, but he may not have the business skills. Uh, he may, you know, they, you know, I always just to say, you know, if, if you ever tell your guys how much you're making on or not how much you're making on a job, but how much you're charging for a job, their eyes light up and go like, well, look how much money he's making. They don't see the overhead. They don't see the, the van payment. They don't see, you know, the office payment. They don't see the insurances. They don't see any of that. And I had one guy tell me, he says, I love when my employees go out and compete against me because within a year I buy their equipment back for a nickel on the dollar. <laughs> <You know? laughs> there's, there's some truth to that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I know. That's so, funny. Uh, so. <laughs> but, you know, no, you know, it's, and I think a lot of it depends on your area and it depends on how big your company is and, you know, and, and where you want. I mean, obviously it's scarier for a sole proprietor. We have a couple and we're going to bring somebody in, 
because, right. you know, they're, we're going to teach them everything that they need to know to essentially run a business because we want them to be good at, we're well, not running business, to do their craft. Let's put it that way. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, with, with, with my guys, I'm not afraid to share the numbers with them, but I share all the numbers with them, you know. Um, but I'm also not that guy that's going to jump into a Ferrari and drive away while they jump into a 20-year-old vehicle that's got rust all over it. Right, you know, exactly. It's just not my management <laughs> style. So, so a lot of times what they'll say is, oh, my God, you can have the headaches that you have. I, I get a check every week. You treat me good. You, know, um, you treat me you know, with respect. More importantly, you give me the tools I need to do my job with. And, and then let's be honest, Fred, not everybody's going to appreciate it. You know, I mean, I've no, had a couple no. that, you know, that, that you know, no matter what I would have done for them, they would never have appreciated it. But, uh, you know, they're gone. You know, they're gone. And uh, right. you can usually watch their careers or jobs go spiral downwards right. as they get further and further away from you. Why don't we talk a little bit about that, about motivation? Let's say we, you know, we, we think we have the right person, you know, to do the work. You know, how do you keep your, motiv- your, your people motivated? We do personality we... assessments. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to well, say, I do you personality... know. Yeah. No, I was just going to say that, you know, motivation is, is important. But one of the things that I that, that I think I made a mistake on back in the day when I had a bunch of employees is uh, you got to be real careful with motivating with money. And the reason I say that and the reason I say that is because a lot of times once you start doing that and you make a habit of doing that, it no longer becomes motivation. It becomes expected. Do you agree with that? Um, I could not agree more. I will tell you, like I said, we do personality assessments. And what it, what it allows me to do is it kind of gives me, and I believe in them, the right ones. But you have to learn them and know how to use them. And, you know, I was, I was fortunate where, you know, I was trained, you know, for five years to use them. So, I mean, when I interview somebody, I kind of have an idea I'm pretty close. Uh, we just hired a girl today, and her personality assessment was exactly what we thought. Um, She's not going to be motivated by money. She's going to be motivated by praise. Um, and she's going to be motivated by giving her the ability to do her job um, the right way. Um, and that's just who she is. So I know, and, and this kind of, the reason I got into doing what I do, Fred, was it wasn't about the money. I'll be quite honest with you. I loved when I went into a floor that somebody thought could never be fixed, and I fixed it and made it better than what it was new. And that was my motivation. I sometimes would forget, oh, yeah, i got to get paid. Um, so for me, it's not money. So if you're looking for a salesperson and you're going to say, okay, I need a salesperson to go out and just hunt and generate revenue, I'm not your guy. You know what I mean? So you right. have to find a guy that, that wants to ethically make money. Um, so for that guy, it is going to be money-based. But you're going to put him on a commission structure where he can generate um, and then you just got to manage them because sometimes they get a little bit out of control and they basically sell everything, you know what right. I mean? And you can do everything. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. so in that per- that person, I would make them money. Somebody like me, I would want to train me and I would want to say, Hey, thanks, man. Great job today. I appreciate the effort. Maybe once in a while I want to be in the trenches with somebody, you know, you, somebody like me wants to be appreciated more than I want to be paid. Do I, do I need to be paid to support my family? Yes. Is that what's going to motivate me? Not in the end. The end is going to be I, I want a nice environment where I feel appreciated. Um, and, I, and I think and that's important. Have, yeah. I mean, I made a point of uh, thanking my employees every day, and, and that, goes, that goes a long way. You know, which brings me to, you know, kind of a, an issue that I keep on with, and that is employees versus should your employee be your friend? Should you separate that social life from the, from the work life? What, what's your thoughts there? Um, I, you know, what's funny, I, I used to be a, I used to be a CFO for a restaurant chain and um, I ended up becoming um, the brother the owner never had. And when we got close, it, it really was not good because things went from business decisions to personal decisions. Yep. Um, and it didn't, it wasn't good for our relationship. And eventually we parted ways. And when we parted ways, it was more, it was, it, we didn't part ways like, like bad. Like he didn't fire me. I went on to another opportunity and I lost a friendship 
and it, it really was really strained for a long time. And, and it's because we became too close as friends. And I know yeah. it's hard because you work with somebody every day, but I still think you have to have that little bit of separation where, yep. you know, or you make them a partner and you're in it together. One of the two. Exactly. You know? And I agree. But, I agree with that. And, that. and that's not to say you can't have a company picnic or play softball with them, you know, as part of it, but you have to maintain that. And, and I hate to use the word authoritative uh, authority, but you know, you're the, you're the boss and <laughs> you take your words, yeah. you know, from my, you know, you're, you're the boss and they need to respect that. And then you need to respect them as well, as far as that goes. But, uh, well, their, uh, their I, weekend and their hours. Yeah. They're, you're funny. Their weekend and their after hours are theirs. Well, right. When I had my other safety, my other safety division, I had a bunch of younger guys, and uh, I, I, you know, I took it as a compliment that they included me in their, you know, in their lives or whatever. But I would get text messages at midnight of things that I'm like, dude, I, I'm still your boss. Like, you don't need to send me that text message of you being out at night and whatever, you know, on right. a weekend. And I kind of had to create that line, like, look at, you know, you guys can always come to me, but. We're, there's still that line, and it made that uncomfortable having to have that discussion, you know. Right. So I learned that as well. Like, be friendly, but don't. You got to keep that in check. Exactly. So. All right. I want I want to go to marketing, but before I do, I want to give the number out just in case. You know, we have a lot of listeners that listen to the podcast after the fact. But if there is anybody listening live, and they they want a, a place a phone call, they can call the three two three. 8703968 that's 3238703968 if you have a question for Dean if not uh go ahead and send us uh an email at f houston that's f h u e s t o n at gmail.com or if you're on Facebook just go to stone forensics and you can instant message me as well uh but anyway let's let's get back to let's talk a little bit about marketing cuz this is a question that I'm sure everybody has regardless of what sector of the stone industry they're in and that is you know let's look at our target markets how, how do we identify them i mean sometimes that's real difficult because you know the yellow pages is long gone as far as i'm concerned it's history <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if in your neck of the woods, but everywhere I go, you can't even find the yellow pages anymore, <laughs> you know. So let's talk about how do we identify our target markets. Yeah, you know, and one thing, Fred, I want to throw a disclaimer in here because I don't want anybody to be like, oh, they, they think they know it all or whatever. And, you know, and that's not the case. You know, when I no. don't know a client, I assess that client. And, you know, and this goes into the marketing aspect as well. Every client has a different personality, not only themselves, but their firm and the employees they want to hire. And I know my job as a consultant is not to spew onto them, but I think they should do what the, my, my job is to, is to say, where do you want to go? And really, where do you want to end up? You know, right. and is that really right for you? Um, you know, because some people say, I want to do all high end residential. And I mean, I'll work with them and be like, you may want to think about commercial. And they're almost offended. But then once you sit down and you talk to them about it, and they're like, you know what, you're right. It is more suited for me because, you know, I'm not going to put up with the phone calls from the homeowner. and I'm just going to tell them this is the way it is. Well, you're not a high-end residential person if you start telling right. them the way it is. You <laughs> right. know, I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> so there's certain personalities that, and if you're always going to give in and, you know, coddle, you're probably not meant for commercial. You'll get eaten up in the commercial level, you know, at least right. in our area because they're pretty rough out there. Um so how do you pick your market? How do you market to them? First of all, you got to determine what client you want to service. You know, right. so for example, if I'm doing high end marketing, um, I, for the most part, I don't care about joining groups like BOMA, which you know the Building Association, Management Association, whatever you know. Operate. I don't care right. about those. I, I'm more. I want to be where people with money are, and I want that. That's my target market. So I do interior designers. Um, I do high-end tile shops. I do high-end fabricator shops. Those yep. are my main referral sources. Um, they're going to, uh, and quite honestly, Fred, I, most of my work comes from fabricators and tile shops. Um, yep. I've been really fortunate. I bet you 80% of my work, that, of new work, not referrals, of new work is strictly high-end fabricators and high-end tile shops. Um, I agree with that. With, yep. uh, yeah, with probably 10%, you know, maybe interior designers. Um, and I'm not including referrals. I mean, I'm, I shouldn't say referrals. I'm not talking about homeowners that talk to other homeowners. I, and then the rest right. is social media, you know. Um, but that's what we do. You know, we target that. Now, if I'm doing commercial, 
you know, obviously I'm hitting the architects, you know, I'm, I'm hitting uh, real estate agents. I found just aren't that everybody has different, some areas, real estate agents mm-hmm. are great for them in this area. For some reason, it's not just us. It's wood guys, carpet guys, everybody, real estate agents don't really seem to want to, to, uh, really reach out and, and on behalf of their clients. It's almost like they're afraid yeah. to tell their clients they have to spend money to make it better. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and along with that, yeah, I mean, interior yeah. designers, as you know, I, I have had issues with interior designers, at least in, in my market where, because a, a lot of interior designers, I don't know how they work now, but they would tack money on top of what you're charging. So you'd end up working for the, you know, let's say you're, you go into a home and they're redesigning the home and they need the floor repolished and you charging them, you know, let's just take a round figure. Let's say you're charging them $5,000. They'll go ahead and say, well, I got a guy that can do it, but it's going to cost you $10,000. <laughs> and then I, and I've actually yeah. been in a situation where the client finds that out and all of a sudden you're the bad guy. You know, wait a minute, you know, so you, you got to yeah, be it, careful there. It, 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 <laughs> you know, it's funny, Fred, because I've heard that story from other people. We've never had that happen because oh, what we've lucky. found, and yeah. I don't know why it is, I've had designers, I'll be like, do you want a markup? And, and all designers except for one say to me, nope, just do a good job for my client, I'll be good. Now, I have one who says, I want you to put 10% on that for me. And I'll say, okay, no problem, I'll put 10% on it. When I get paid, I'll give you the, the referral fee, um, but I keep them out of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, how much do you? Oh yeah. I don't let them determine the cost. I determine the cost. I present it. Well, it's my cost. It's, they may give them the quote, but it's my it's my cost. You know, you know what I'm saying? Um, and it's it's a it's a yeah. good point because you know one of the things that I found out, and I have to agree with you. And I was when I was in the restoration end of it, most of my work came through the fabricators in town, at, 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 in town. But one of the things I discovered is that if I went to a fabricator and said to him. Um, hey, I tell you what, for every job you give me, I'll give you a hundred bucks or, or whatever. That doesn't work. And most people think it no. works, but it doesn't work. I, I mean, I can assure you it doesn't because now what happens is my fabric, like you, you, you hit the magic word, high end fabricators. They're my, the fabricators I worked with wanted their customers satisfied. And, and you know, that sounds kind of weird, <laughs> but, but they wanted their customers happy. Okay. They didn't care about, how much money I charge or whether they got anything on it. They were happy enough to refer me because they knew my work to be able to, okay, here, here's a guy I can recommend. Now along that line, before I forget, I know I'm jabbering on here. Is no, one, no, of the things, <laughs> one of the things I discovered with fabricators is that visit them often. Uh, I noticed that if I didn't visit a fabricator for a month or two, the, the referrals kind of, eh, they kind of lagged off a little bit, but the day I went in there and, you know, brought a dozen donuts or just, just to yeah. chat, all of a sudden referrals pick up again, <laughs> you know, and discovered that quite by accident, but it, it works. So stay in contact with your, the guys that are sending you business. I, I just laugh because we have a donut shop here and it's amazing <laughs> what power the donut has. And, uh, you know, it's this donut where people stand in line and I'll tell you a dozen of those donuts, you'd think I just brought them $10,000 of uh, unmarked bills, you know, or whatever, you know, they're, you know, and it's, it's, it's weird, but it's true. <laughs> you know, what's, what's really funny about, about that is I, I ended up going out to, uh, I won't mention the guy's name. If he's listening, he knows who he is, but his customers called him the pie man. <laughs> and what he did, every, and I was out there for a couple of days with him every day, he would get up and he would bake two pies. You know, whether it's an apple pie, a cherry pie, and he'd give these freshly baked warm pies to his customers. <laughs> they nicknamed him the pie man, and that's how he got his work. <laughs> you know, so and it works. The donut, it the donut, right? it works. I mean, it works. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, it, it's absolutely amazing uh, how that how that works. Yeah. So um, I'm trying to think. I, I know we're running out of time, and I don't want to. There's so many things we could talk about. Like I know I literally oh, sure. do eight hour courses on mission statements, you know, where do you want to be? You know, so there's right. so much of this, but oh, yeah. um, motivating, I, you know, I want to touch up, make sure with you, I know the employees is a big deal. You know, I really, the bottom line is you have to match somebody's skill set up and their personality to the position. And another thing I will say is, you know, a lot of people have great technicians and they try to make them managers and not everybody can manage. So no. I think people need to be careful just because you got the best polisher or the best edger or the best whatever 
he may or he or she may not be made to be a manager. So don't lose a great technician um, because you try to put them in a position that they're uh, they're not meant for. I've made um, that mistake. I've made that mistake several times. I had one guy that true. worked really really well by himself, but could not work with others. I mean, and not in a bad way. It's just that he he did better on his own or working with one other person than he did, you know, running a job. He hated running a job. And I lost him because of that. Yeah. And, and we think that, and I think that, the, you know, and this brings me to my next, my next thing. I think you have to have regular two way interviews and two, I'm not, not interviews, two way um, reviews with your employees. And, you know, good, and I think idea. you need to do that at, 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 yeah, at least every six months. And, you know, they need to know what you expect about them and you need to know what they expect from you. And a lot of, a lot of owners and employers don't want to know that, but you know, we, we're obligated to our employees and, you know, we're obligated to give them. And I mentioned it earlier, the best training, the best tools. We need to treat them with respect. We need to give them a wage that, you know, helps them live a lifestyle um, that, that makes them happy within reason. You know, you're not going to have a guy right. doing edging, making 200 grand a year. Um, but you need to set those clear expectations so that when you sit down in six months, you can say, well, you know, Bill, you're the one, you know, not in this many words, but say, you know, when we talked last time, you said you wanted to do this, this, and this in the last six months. I gave you the opportunity. How do you think you fared? And usually they're going to be harder on themselves than what you're going to do. Usually, not always. Right, um, right. And then it's a, nice, it's a nice way because now you're, I'll say, okay, well, let's work on that for the next six months. But they know what's expected of them. And I think so many employees, just don't know what you expect out of them. They may think they're doing a great job and they're doing a horrible job, or they may think they're doing a horrible job and they leave you because they feel like they're not meeting their expectations. When in reality, they're doing a darn good job. Um, So I think you have to have that. I think you have to have those reviews back and forth. I I agree a hundred percent. Well, we're running out of time, but before we, before we leave, I want to give you the opportunity to give out any contact information that you want to give out. So, uh, if, if you don't want to, that's fine. But if you want to, just go ahead and give out any contact information you'd like. Oh, and I have one more, I mean, I can definitely and I have one more question for yeah, you I, after that. <laughs> okay, perfect. Yeah, I can be reached. Um, email, you know, is really easy. It's Dean, D-E-A-N, at crimsonstrategy.com. Um, I'm a huge Alabama fan, so that's where the crimson comes from. Lifelong. <laughs> Didn't just jump on the bandwagon. I suffered through go. the bad years, too. Um, so go. an email, you know, and, and if anybody's listening, you know, don't seriously, you know, shoot me an email. If you got a question, I may not know everything, you know, but at least we can kind of have that discussion um, and maybe give you a couple ideas here and there. And, you know, I learn every day, you know, and that's what's nice about consulting is I get to learn um, from many, many different sources and, you know, confidential sources, but I get to bring those and help, you know, help make other people successful based on other failures and successes. So it's right. nice. Great. Well, we gladly had you on the show. And my, my last question yeah. for you is that I know you went through my inspection and troubleshooting class last year. What did you think of the class? I liked it. I really did. You know, I thought, I thought it was a great class. I thought what it does is it actually gets you time to focus on some of the things that you see, but you don't realize what you're seeing. And then it just gets you thinking differently. And I'll tell you, I've used it so many times. Um, when we see a job, we're doing a terrazzo job today. And my guy's like, man, what is this line? What's going on? You know, I'm like, well, let's go in the basement and take a look, see where we're at, see what kind of structure it is. And I think it helps you formulate a thought process. And really this business is, is a thought process. Absolutely. Um, And you just start thinking differently. And I tell you, I I would like to see more of it on a regular basis. Um, If there's any, you know, sharing more stories in like an alumni group or something with those inspection inspectors. Sure so that we can kind of start seeing some ideas of, hey, I, yeah, I was in class with that guy, and, oh, my God, he just ran into the same thing I ran into three days yep. ago. I'm going to, sh- you yeah. know, and I think that's the thing, you know, that, that is beneficial. So Absolutely. All right, well, i got to cut it off here because my time's about to run out here, Dean, but, again, I want to thank Absolutely. you very much. And anybody else, uh, this podcast will be available all the time on the website, so we will see everybody next week. Uh, have a great one. Thanks, Fred. Bye.